Hello and welcome to season two of Refocus, where we talk to artists and music industry professionals about building sustainable careers as creative workers with a focus on folk. I'm your host, Rosalind Dennett. Hello and welcome to Refocus. Today we're speaking with Samir Baijal. Samir has been the artistic director at the Hillside Festival since 1998. He also programs entertainment at the University of Guelph, where he has worked for 30 years. His favorite activity is going to concerts, as you can well imagine. Here's our conversation with Samir. Samira, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? I'm fine, thanks. How are you? I'm doing very well. I'm so excited to get to speak with you today. I've had the pleasure of getting to attend and uh, as well as perform at, at Hillside. So it's a festival that's you know I'm, I'm familiar with and is already near and dear to my heart. I'm wondering if you can start by telling us how you got involved in the festival and how long you've been involved. I've been involved with the festival since like 1994. Four, I think, 93, 94. I was just asked to kind of get involved because I was already booking music for the university. I ended up at that time joining the board of directors. It was a very hands-on board at that time. And then eventually, just the circumstances were such that, you know, we didn't really have anybody to do the official role of an artistic director. And the circumstances were that, you know, we needed somebody to do that. And I just ended up doing it for the time being, it wasn't supposed to be permanent. It was, it was like it was going to be like, oh, I'm going to do this for a few months and get things started for the festival year of 98 or whatever. And then I would we would hire somebody. But it didn't work out that way. I, honestly, I, it, my plan was not to work for the festival. It was like I, I was on the board. I said, oh, I think I can help out here and at least get the process started until we figured out what we're doing. And then it just turned out that it was harder to f- find somebody than we thought it would be. Um, and by the time we were doing it, I'd already booked the whole festival. And it was like, well, why don't you just do it? And I went, uh, well, okay, let's see what happens. And that's kind of, the rest is history, literally. You know, so. <laughs> yeah, that's decades in the making. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if you can give me like a bird's eye view of the festival. Yeah, I mean, the main the main event, which is the summer festival, you know, which has been going now is, I think this will be year 41 that's coming up. Um the it's like three days you know uh, six o'clock to six to eleven each on friday and like 11 to 11 each saturday sunday on guelph lake island and it's a conservation area it's a really beautiful spot and there's like a an island there that we actually use and we have a permanent stage that we built in the early 2000s that we use as our main stage there and then there's like multiple stages and tents and stuff there's a very special vibe at Hillside. It seems like there's a, a community that's being created there and fostered there. What do you attribute that to? And can you describe it a bit? Well, I think the origin of the of the festival, the people who started it, I mean, this is a university town. And I think university towns have fairly rich artistic communities, like small, small towns that have universities, you know, like Guelph and Kingston and Waterloo and places like that. There's rich artistic communities, how I like to put it. And I think the people that started the festival were like, you know, a, a collection of musicians and such and that were from around here and, and you know, people that were involved a bit already in the arts. And they kind of went into it with this approach that this is like this localized phenomenon. So I think from the get-go, 
the actual execution of the event was like, you know, it was being pulled off by local people and then, you know, they would draw from locally and then it kind of went from there. But I think it's just because right from the beginning it was like, okay, well, where we're going to go, I mean, from what I was told, when they ended up going to, originally they were going to be on a farm and it didn't work out and they went, okay, we're going to go to this Guelph Lake thing. And then the thing from there was like, well, you know, you're in a conservation area and you want to be respectful to the land where you are. And, you know, so all these things that were like done that, you know, that Hillside has been known for over the years were just plain common sense. It wasn't like, I mean, the word green wasn't even around back then. You know, it's just like common sense that, yeah, of course you want to be respectful of the land. You want to clean up after yourself. You want to have like, you know, really strong values and ethics. You don't want to be commercial, be grassroots sort of that way. You don't want to have like corporate stuff going on. So I think it, it, it reflected right from the beginning a really kind of um, personal approach to putting on a festival that people were very passionate about it. And it drew, drew volunteers from here. And I think that's the biggest thing is that the volunteer base is huge and has evolved over time. And these people really love doing what they do. Yeah, so I think that's a big part of the community that you're talking about is, it's just that the word community is funny because, you know, I look at it over time as like, it's a community that actually doesn't have any borders because when people come to the festival, they come from all over the place. They come from around here, but they come from all over the place. And it's kind of like when they get there, it's like you get into this zone, right? So it doesn't matter where you're from. It's not like it's like a festival that's like, oh, well, only we only want to draw from local audiences. That's not true at all. It's more like, you know, it's a community based upon like common beliefs and values and things like that, you know, open minded to all kinds of music which is what the festival's always been. Like, it's always, it's not a folk festival, it's just a music festival, right? So the audience is really open-minded and willing to embrace new new artists and all different types of music. So I think that's where you put it, all these things together and being smart with how you treat the land and, you know, recycling and all these different things that have happened over forever. That's what I think gives it this, this characteristic of, it's a real community in the true sense. Yeah. And you mentioned the relationship with the land and some of the environmental efforts. I'm wondering if you can just talk a little bit more about that, because I feel like Hillside is really an example that's that's used a lot in terms of festivals that are green, you know, festivals that are kind of putting in some work to be sustainable. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So when we first got out to the lake, I mean, you know, by design, you're in a conservation park. I mean, the whole definition of a conservation park is to conserve, right? So everything that was laid out, the way the thing, the plans, the site was laid out, was done in a way with this in consideration, right? To have like the least amount of a footprint left and making sure that you're cleaning up after yourself and things like that. You know, planting trees. We plant trees out there. We've been planting trees out there forever. There's an environmental team. I mean, there's so many different aspects of it that, are, I mean, you know, when right down to like not using disposable plates or anything like that, you know, right from the beginning, it was like, you know, we're going to have dishes and we're going to have a dishwashing station. So that's where that happened. And then at some point along the way, when bottled water all of a sudden started becoming a thing, you know, where like bottled water started showing up all over the place. And it's like, you know, after a few years of that, it was just like, well, why are we having bottled water? You know, this is ridiculous. So let's get a truck. Water should be free. So that was the end of that. 2007 or something is when that happened. It's like, okay, well, we're not going to have water bottles on site whatsoever. We're going to have free water and nobody's going to sell it. 
It's going to be refillable containers and all that kind of stuff. And that's what was just like, again, it was like the common sense thing to do. Everything that's happened in this realm for this festival has just been because it's actually common sense that you do this. I mean, you know, our relationship with with our Indigenous elders, that started when we first got out there. You know, it's like, well, we're on we're on Indigenous land, and of course we're going to be acknowledging this. And so we had like a, you know, a circle and everything at our festival right from the beginning. So it's, it's very organic that way, you know, like there's nothing been forced of like, well, we better do this. We live in an era now where, like, you know, Walmart has an organic section. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it's a marketable thing. It's become a marketable thing. And the flag gets waved a lot, too. But you got to practice what you preach, right? And you got to be doing it for the right reasons. Um, you mentioned you're presenting music of all kinds. So where where are you finding it? Because, you know, if you're not defining yourself by a genre, that really opens the door to a lot of stuff. And I know that you present a pretty eclectic lineups. Well, even like right from the beginning when this when this festival was first started, like there was like a mix of music. It was like not just one type of music. The only thing that was different was in terms of like the scope of how far out you would be going out to get artists, you know, and things like that. So it just became more like, you know, like that circle grew, right? But, you know, right from the beginning, that seemed to be like the mandate was like, well, you know, we're going to present all different kinds of music. And so, you know, whether it was folk or rock or indie rock or and there was even even kind of like, you know, music from other cultures right from the early days there was stuff that was happening you know you, they might not be coming to you from the other side of the planet but the style of music was whatever it may be african or different ethnic backgrounds and then over time you know as things evolved it became like oh yeah well now you know i'm able to try and look for artists there's a huge network out there of people the recommendations you know starting when i started going to the the womax conference in the early 2000s, you know, that was a really good resource, not just for a place to go and see artists from all over the place, but it was actually a humongous networking situation. You're, you're communicating with people that are doing what you do from the other side of the planet. And so that, you know, you just had a much larger resource base of where you're getting ideas from. Do you ever have like themes or, or specific kind of balances or things that you're looking for? Off and on over the years, last number of years, we've had kind of like an inherent theme but it doesn't necessarily dictate who i'm gonna book i mean we've had peacemaking themes which is like just because that's what it should be you know at the time and i think it still is actually but it has relevance to the, the time we're living in and what's going on around us i don't really book based upon themes it's more like i might put some sessions together like workshop sessions or, you know, we've done some campaigns where, like, we've had some interviews and promotions done with artists that are appearing who will speak about, will ask them their opinion on, you know, achieving world peace or whatever it may be. And then they will give their personal take on that, you know. You mentioned workshops. And I always like to bring this up because it's not a, you know, I think it's something that's that's so uniquely Canadian. How do you imagine workshops and how do you how do you put workshops together? I think that, of course, is that has also evolved over the years. You know, there was a time where you would just throw a bunch of people into a session and see what happens. And we still do that to a certain extent, but it's a little more choreographed than that. You want to try to get people to be in a session that makes sense. It's just, not just like, oh, well, you know, we got this many people, then they all need to be in something. That's not how we do it. I mean, it doesn't make sense because then you end up having kind of like situations where people maybe don't want to be in those situations. Yeah, I mean, I just look for, you know, you've got two types of sessions, really. You've got the ones where are like song circles, 
where like there might be a theme and everybody's doing their own song, which is fine. I mean, there's a place for that. And then you've got the collaborative ones where like basically, you know, you know, they basically play together in some capacity, you know, that can vary to, to what degree, how it turns out. Sometimes you have ones that just turn out to be completely full on jam sessions improvised and other ones to sort of like more of a, you know, in between some familiar and some not familiar. Like, I mean, a lot of time it's just a chance for the artist to just kind of drop their guard and just like, you know, let's have some fun and see what happens. It's a very popular part of the whole thing. I mean, people, people love them, but you know, they don't always work, but you're, you're sort of taking some chances, right? But when they do work, there's something else. And I think they, they often will surprise the artists themselves. I know that there's, you know, our Canadian festivals, if I think of some of the ones over the years that have really done this type of thing successfully, like, you know, uh, Vancouver in past years and Calgary and Winnipeg and Edmonton and folks like that, you know. It's not as much of a thing in Ontario as it could be, but then there isn't as many festivals in Ontario that, that are this type of festival, right? Like, I mean, the not-for-profit. There's a, only a few of us here. There's like, you know, Owen Sound, Mariposa, and us, and uh, I think, you know, there's a couple up north. That's about it. But yeah, I mean, like, you have conversations with the artists in advance, and you say, okay, well, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? I don't just normally drop people into situations without talking to them. It's thrilling, right? It could go either way. Such a unique convergence of people in uh, space and time that you're not going to get again. Yeah, exactly. And you end up with like sometimes over the years, there's actually been permanent collaborations that have come out of those meetings. These are people that have never played together before. And all of a sudden, after they've done this thing, they go on and they record something together. So that has happened. I mean, not just from our festival, but from other ones, you know, where people have played and you hear about it. Do you have any kind of standout moments like that where you've seen some magic on the stage? And if not that, maybe like a, a standout performance by someone that's kind of gone on to, to different heights? Well, I mean, as far as like the, the collab, the workshop stuff, there's been, you know, highlights over the years. There's definitely been quite a few of them, you know. Everybody just ends up being in sync. There was one a few years ago. I think it was called We Forgot About the Time. The titles are always kind of fun. It was like, uh, you know, at the end of the weekend, and it, it was like with like, you know, this group Las Cafeteras and DJ Shub and Leonard Sumner and some indigenous dancers and everything. And it was like completely off the charts. And in the audience, we're like, you know, wow, we can't believe this is actually happening. So, you know, stuff like that, when, you know, like it, it really works. And sometimes it just means like people need to drop their guard and let it go. So, yeah, that's just one example. When you are booking, do you look local as well? Yeah, yeah. There's always some artists from the, from around here, for sure. There's a lot of people that play music in this community. And I mean, our definition of local is, you know, within 30 kilometers. Those are the only people that are actually officially allowed to submit. It's people who are within this radius and there's an application form. Nobody else is officially allowed to submit. <laughs> there's no place that you go in there on our website and go to a link where you, you fill out. If you live outside of this radius, you can't do it. Because, I mean, you know, as far as like booking the festival, like, you know, the other answer to this, the other half of this is that ideas come from everywhere. So, I mean, there's people that are, that are being booked from all over the place. But there's always a few local artists, no matter what. What's the application window for the local artists? It's on right now. I think it's on until the end of this month. I think it goes till March 1st. It's all on our website. It's, it's in there. It's, you know, under the getting involved. And then it's got different things. And that's how you can get to access to the form. For folks outside of the radius 
Are you booking independent acts? Do you typically go through agents? It's it's kind of all over the place. You know, I, I can sound like a history book because I've been doing this for so long that what's happened over the last 25 years of me doing this, right? What has changed in terms of how I book this festival? Not much, except for technology. You have technology, you have access to a lot more. You can hear things, you can see things that you normally in the past wouldn't maybe be able to get as much direct. Like here's Artist X playing live. This is what it looks like, you know? So it's you can get way more feedback. And then also just like in terms of the resources that are available for what you can check out what they do now. But in terms of the process, it doesn't really change much. It'll be a mixture of all of the above. I mean, I deal with agents a fair bit, but you know, it's kind of customized, right? It isn't just like, you know, here's our list. Who do you want? <laughs> it doesn't work that way. It's like, you know, you get to know people and they know what you do. So they don't make recommendations that are like, you know, well, you, why would we ever book that? It doesn't fit our programming. You know, there's actually sensible recommendations being made. They know your event and they know you. So is there a way that you don't want to be contacted? I don't necessarily like to be constantly asked about it over and over again. Believe me, I completely understand where like people who are doing this is what they do. They play, they want to try to get gigs. So when you run into people in different places and it just comes with the territory. It's just that it can get delicate in the sense that, you know, you only have room for so many artists, right? And not everybody can play. And any festival, anybody who does this job for any festival in any city will tell you that a lot of the artists who live there think that they should be playing the festival. And I get it. I understand why they feel that way. It makes total sense that they feel that way. Is it possible? No. <laughs> I mean, it's impossible to sit there and say, well, every single person who plays music in this community should be playing here. There's hundreds of them. Or if you get into bigger cities, there's thousands of them. And again, I'm not sounding a criticism. It's more like just a fact. You're not programming the Hillside or Mariposa or whomever local artist festival. That's not what you're doing. You are programming something which people will want to come and see so they can get all kinds of stuff. So there's a part, there's some local things, but there's also like a whole ton of stuff that normally doesn't come into your area. Right. Like, I mean, you know, there's this thing of like, well, there's some people that'll say we don't want to see that many local artists at the festival because we can see them at any time during the year. Other people feel, oh, no, it's like it's a really good opportunity to see somebody play who's local, who's getting a chance to do something in a different environment. You know, and I get that, too. So I understand that part. You know, there's two sides to the whole thing. Right. But you're booking basically a festival of people that are coming from different places. And there's a component of it that has some artists from the area, too. So, Do you typically book around like a headliner? Well, I mean, that approach has been kind of in there for all along. I mean, it's just it just varies in degrees of to what extent you go. And I mean, I think we're in a time now where like when I first started doing this in 1998, I said something about how, you know, it's important for us to note that we're actually part of the Southern Ontario marketplace. Like we're not far from Toronto. Like we're in a busy region. There's a lot going on. So we are part of that market. doesn't matter what kind of event we are. We are part of that market. So people have decisions and choices, you know. And the only thing that's happened over time is that there's more of them now. You know, there's more events. There's more festivals. Some have come and gone. But, you know, there's just a lot going on. So it's important that, you know, you try to maintain some identity and uniqueness in terms of what you do. Because it's really easy to have things that people start comparing to each other. And even though they're very different, like, I mean, we're not a headliner driven festival, but we've had our share of them. We're also surrounded by tons of festivals and events and things. So there's people playing everywhere. So it's kind of like, well, if we don't have them, people can go see them somewhere else. That's fine. You know, it's good for people can go see such and such things. 
So if anything, what I feel is important is that we continue to try to maintain our own identity. And your own identity isn't necessarily based upon who you book. Like, I mean, you know, we're not a big font festival, as I call them. Like, we're not, we're not like, you know, have the first six names in some humongous font and everybody else is something you can hardly read. That's not us. We do alphabetical, A to Z, same font size. You recognize a few names more than others. We're not a big font festival. It's cool. I haven't heard anyone say that line before. That's awesome. Yeah, it's just, you know, and over the years, I've seen other people that have adopted this thing of being alphabetical on their posters as opposed to like having this thing where like it starts with like really huge names at the top. And then, you know, after you get past five or six of them, as you're like, you're starting to squint your eyes trying to read things. And it's too bad because, I mean, if anything, at all of these events, there's tons of amazing artists, right? So it's just the nature of the beast you know some 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 are more like that than others it's more like you know just the way it's mark it's a type of marketing right too mm-hmm. how many artists do you typically book in a in a festival <laughs> well i'm trying to scale it back a bit it's gotten to be too many it's getting complicated trying to schedule that many artists so you know i want to say between 50 and 60 and i'm hoping it'll be more towards the 50 because it makes it easier to schedule. But I mean, it's also hard to say no sometimes. So, but you know, you got to find the balance. So, I mean, if anything, you know, there's also the, what it costs to put things on these days is just way more than it ever used to be. Yeah, absolutely. Before we wrap up, I'm wondering if you can give a little nugget of, you know, advice or stuff that you've seen that you like. What are some things that artists can do to make them stand out to you? Well, I mean, the most important thing has to do with like, if you're going to approach somebody about performing at their festival, make sure you're familiar with their festival. Make sure you know what they do and the kind of things that they do. And believe me, we do get lots of artists who know that, including agents. They know it. Another thing is, you know, like um, have some good experience playing live. But I mean, doesn't mean that you can't be new. Always try to envision, you know, like what your live show is going to be like. That's pretty much it because the rest of it is kind of like fate. Every year this happens, you know, the highlights of the festival each year end up being with artists that most people had never heard of. That's great. Samira, thank you so much for chatting with us today and we'll see you soon. Okay, take care. That's all for this episode, friends. The Refocus podcast is brought to you by Folk Music Ontario. Find out more by heading to folkmusicontario.org slash refocus. That's R-E-F-O-L-K-U-S. The podcast is produced by Kayla Nizon and Rosalind Dennett and mixed by Jordan Moore at the pod cabin. The opening theme is by King Cardiac and the artwork is by Jamie Card. Please give us a download, a like, subscribe, rate, and review to let us know you're listening. Until next time, keep it folk and have fun.